Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, I had that opening done several years ago. Bob Borquez over at Dave Ramsey's office did that for me. I love the open. I still love it. I know we can get a lot of other options there. I have people submit options all the time, but I just like that. Bachman Turner Overdrive, take care of business. It gets me pumped up, and I like the things that Bob says in that opening. You can perhaps need just a tune-up or a complete overhaul. Takes me right to the idea of a finely tuned car engine. You guys know I'm a car guy. I still love the sound of a finely tuned engine. I hear that roar of a car coming up beside me. It whips my head around, still gets my attention. Man, I want my business, my life to be finely tuned like that. So it you hear the thrust, the roar of something that's finely tuned. Well, we're going to be looking at it in that way. Hey, our one of our sponsors today is Audible. Now, they have that vast array of audio books. And, you know, you hear me talk a lot about the fact that if you want to change your success level, I don't know of a quicker way to do that than to read or listen to great books. So I'm going to give you a link to a book that I recommend, been sharing with a lot of friends. But our direct link to get your free book from Audible is audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. If you go there, you can actually get one of the books to get you started free if you're not yet a member. Of course, I encourage you to become a member so you are having a monthly intake of great information that will change your level of success. But again, that link is audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. Our theme for today is going to be, if you do this, you are an artist. Now, you hear me talk about art a lot on this show because art, we really give a pretty broad definition here. It's really like ministry. You know, ministry is not just standing in a pulpit on Sunday. You don't have to be a pastor, teacher, evangelist to be in ministry. You can have a ministry if you're a truck driver or if you're a plumber, electrician, or brain surgeon. Anyway, so we do the same thing with art. Art is more than just putting paint on a canvas. If you hear me talk about people like Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, or people like Seth Godin with his definition of art in Icarus Deception, I mean... Those are examples of how we take art to a broader level. I'm going to tell you, if you do this, you are an artist. Now, that's our quotation for today, and I'll get to that in just a second. Here's some of the questions we've got. Dan, I feel like I'm on the sideline of a football game ready to go in, but I don't have any pads, helmet, or playbook. Dan, my husband sold over half a million dollars in products last year and only made $45,000. Does that seem right to you? Well, that's an interesting question, and we need a lot more information, but we're going to unpack that. How do I organize my research to write a book? Dan, I know change is in the air. I'm just looking for the map. And then how about this one? This one, we could really spend a lot of time here. Someone says, in essence, now I paraphrase this, but somebody is saying, I don't want to be pressured into doing new things. I just want to be accepted and supported in my difficult situation. Yeah, you can probably anticipate where I'm going to go with that one. Well, here's our quotation. The quotation comes from Andy Warhol, who said, being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art. Making money is art and working is art and good business is the best art. So there you go. If you're doing any of those things, you are an artist. How do you make money? 
Well, you're an artist. You're somehow sharing something that is unique to you. And the world says, hey, we like that. That has value. We're going to give you money for that. It's art. So being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art. We're going to go with that for today. Now, here's our out of work winner this week. I've been, you know, we've been continuing this little contest that I just started kind of a pull the trigger spontaneously, impulsively, perhaps is a better word. And said, if you send a message to out of work, that's O-U-T-T-A-W-O-R-K at 48days.com, we just select one winner a week through the end of May to get a fresh start package. It's a hundred dollar package of products from us. And so it's opened the door to a flood of responses. I appreciate your, your stories. Again, I'm going to do something to respond to those. Um, the stories, a lot of them are heartbreaking. A lot of them are, are fun to read because of what somebody's going to, but this week's winner is Jody Brown who says the Bible says it's something to the effect, something to the effect of don't be like the grass that blows wherever the wind goes. I feel like I am completely adrift. Now, she talks about the fact that she's an interior design. She's had a lot of these, a lot of jobs, but the, opportunities in design are a little challenging people are looking for shortcuts they don't really want design they just want something quick and cheap she's talking about that she's looking for something more on a level of helping people i've been very interested in occupational therapy jody says but that would involve going to college again where would the money come to pay for that my husband has a good job but will be retiring in five years and doesn't want any new debt friend suggested that I do something along the lines of helping seniors with things like preparing for moves, planning out their new spaces, and even odd jobs like taking them to the grocery store and other things to help them live at home until they are ready to move to a facility. I like this idea, but have no idea how to market it, get it, get into this without incurring more debt. So here's my problem. I feel like there's lots of options, but none of them are good. So now I'm out of a job. How do I earn income so that I can do the work that I love? Oh, yeah, she says, and recently I've been diagnosed with ADHD and dyscalculia. Now, let me just make a couple quick comments. For one thing, Judy, I love the idea that you're talking about, about helping seniors with things like preparing for moves, planning out their new spaces. I mean, that's major. I mean, as we see, I mean, right here where I live in Williamson County, Tennessee, I mean, these senior retirement centers, Assisted living centers, nursing homes are just popping up all around us. I mean, it's amazing how many of those things are being built. That means that people are moving from the home they're accustomed to, often when they're kind of losing a sense of where they are and who they are anyway, moving into a new place. If you develop your ability to help them make that transition well, I think that would have amazing value to take the few personal items so that when they move into a new place, even though the physical space is different, there are things that they recognize. It makes it feel like home. I mean, I could see that as a really unique adaptation of interior design. Using your skills there, your desire to be helping people more, I think that would be a great focus. Come up with some kind of a really cool name for what it is that you're doing, helping people in that transition. And I think there's a big, big market for that. Now, we used, when we had my mother-in-law and a couple different places we used a place for mom and i think that's a national perhaps international organization and it just helps you know where all those places are what the options are and helps you find what really works they they were a lifesaver for us in terms of saving us research time see if you can't connect with organizations like that to put you in touch with thousands of people who are making that kind of move 
Now, the, the fact that you say you were diagnosed with ADHD and dyscalculia, that's not a common term, but it's one more term for something that people have difficulties with. And rather than just being a common problem, now we're going to give it a name as some kind of a clinical diagnosis. But it, I looked that up just to make sure that I worded it right. But it's, it's having difficulty in learning or comprehending arithmetic such as difficulty in understanding numbers, learning how to manipulate numbers and learning math facts. Hey, guess what? I must have it too, Jody. I hate the things that have to do with accounting, analytical details, math functions. I mean, ah, I don't stay awake at night though worrying about that. I think, ooh, that's something I'm not really good at at all. So whether you give it a diagnostic term or not, yeah, I probably got it. I can join you in that. Don't let those kind of things slow you down. I mean, there's so many things that you can identify as unique talents that any of us have. You obviously have done that already here. Hey, we are going to get you that fresh start package, get that shipped out to you to help you identify, clarify what I think you're already doing there and just shape it for this next season in your life. Okay. Now I mentioned that I'm going to be telling you about a book that I'm going to recommend. Again, this is going to be our connection to our sponsor, Audible. If you go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash 48 days. And what I want you to go find is the new book thrive. Now this is a new book by Arianna Huffington. Now this was kind of a detour for me. I mean, she's written a lot of books. I mean, Huffington post, you're familiar with that as a news, a news landing place, you know, for news all over the world. And she's done extremely well with what she's done with that company. But she understood a few years ago that she was working herself to death pretty literally. She fell, hit her head, was out for a couple days, boom, and realized she was destroying herself physically. And she thought, this cannot be success. Thrive, her new book, redefines success. So it's not just about money and power, but about well-being, wisdom, wonder, and giving. Now, I got that. I heard her interviewed by Joe Polish from Genius Network. I was just pulled in. By the interview, I immediately got the book. I started reading it. I read it. Joanna and I were spending a few days uh, down at a beach house, and I kept sharing things with her. And she says, "Well, it sounds like I need to read that book." She did. She presented it to a book club that she's in. Uh, they've been studying through the book. I ordered the book and sent copies to everybody in my forty-eight member mastermind group. Uh, we're talking about it again. Uh, not that I'm just. Uh, following Arianna Huffington, but the way she unpacks this new model of success is pretty profound. She talks about things like what our technology has done to us. You know, we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you know, we're, we have continuous partial attention. I thought, man, that's a really vivid image, continuous partial attention. She quotes from Robert F. Kennedy, who back in 1968 said this too much and too long. We seem to have surrendered personal excellence and community values in the mere accumulation of material things. Our gross national product counts air pollution and cigarette advertising and ambulances to clear our highways of carnage. Yet the gross national product does not allow for the health of our children, the quality of their education or the joy of their play. It does not include the beauty of our poetry or the strength of our marriages, the intelligence of our public debate or the integrity of our public officials. 
It measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. Well, anyway, that's my recommendation. Again, you go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can get a copy of Thrive. Listen to it. Let me know what you think. You go through it. I think it'll rock your world. Help us reshape what we really look for in the category that we call success. Well, hey, a couple quick success stories here. This one comes from Lauren Phelps. Says, Dan, I finally quit my day job. I attended Coached with Excellence in January of 2013. At the time, I knew I wanted to make a difference in people's lives through healthy living. I wasn't sure if I was going to pursue becoming a health and nutrition coach, a personal trainer, or something completely different. I was so inspired by my time at the sanctuary and the people that I met. Uh, Coming back to my day job and regular way of living was so depressing. I had to make a change toward creating work that mattered and fast. I decided to become a personal trainer and achieved that certification in August of 2013. In September, I started seeing clients before and after my day job. Sometimes this meant 15-hour days, but I really didn't mind. I was excited and alive when I was helping people achieve their fitness goals. I loved to see them achieve things they didn't think were possible. At Innovate in September, you told me I should be able to make my business a full-time gig in three to six months. It just so happened that six months after that, I turned 30. What a great birthday present to give myself. Freedom from five years of work that didn't matter. Finally, as of May 1st, I'm self-employed. I'm designing work that matters. I'm helping people live a better life. It feels amazing to be in charge of my time and destiny. I'll never go back. Thank you for supporting me along this journey. Your message and encouragement has made a huge impact on my ability to believe this is possible. Geez, Lauren, that's awesome. That is really awesome. I mean, thanks for sharing that. I remember well those discussions with you a couple times that you've been here and you have mapped it out and taken action on it just exactly according to the playbook. Talk about having a playbook. Once you get clear on what it is you're moving to, it seems like doors just start to open. Yesterday we had a conference call with a bunch of people on it. And one of the guys was sharing about all the things that have just kind of happened for him this year. And I said, no, wait a minute, Brian, they didn't just happen. This, I know exactly when things started opening up for you. I said, it was when you got really clear on what you wanted to move toward at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Things just, the doors started opening up like dominoes. Boom. That's what happens. Lauren, great job. Congratulations. Thanks for sharing that with us. Andrew, Andrew Gilmore from Norman, Oklahoma says, I've been listening for a long time. Add me to your success stories. I just published a book in the Kindle store called Do No Work that helps helps us find peace and beat stress through proper application of the Sabbath commandment. Within five days, the book was downloaded over 500 times and it jumped to number one in the theology category. Among the free Kindle books, this despite zero promotion on my part, I made it free for a few days just to try to garner some reviews. Now I'm looking at doing the hard work of selling the book. Uh, I'd be happy to get you a free copy if you want to read it. Yes, I already responded to Andrew. Absolutely. I'd love to read it. It's do no work. And if you go to do no work in the Kindle area of Amazon, you'll find Andrew's book. Pick that up. 
Hey, thanks for sharing. A couple other quick things here. Kevin Ortman says, Dan, I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now and love it. You said in the last podcast you were looking at doing a fireside chat, but wanted a different name. My suggestion is Eagle's Nest Discussion. And I also got, I got suggestions from a lot of people. Jeremy James sent me in a whole list of things. Instead of calling it a fireside chat, you could call it Eagle Trip, Eagle Elevator, Eagle Elevator Trip, Talon Trip, Flyer Focus, Navigator News, Hot Shot Hoedown. <laughs> well, thanks. I got, I've got to come up with something. I haven't revisited that really since we um, last talked last week, but I, I do want to do a monthly short video for the 48days.net community, and I'll give it some kind of a name to tie in with all the other things that seem to be important to me around here. Anyway, thanks for your stories in that particular area there. Hey, if you want to be added to this particular part, you know you can be one of the champions. This is where we play the little ditty here. We are the champions, the old Queen song. Send us your success story. What are you doing? I love those stories. Like Lauren saying, hey, I did exactly what you laid out. Now here's where I am. That's the way to do it. Hey, you can send that in to, well, just go to the 48days.com site and you can um, click in the podcast link there, put it in there, or just send it directly to askdan at 48days.com. We are the champions. Well, here comes a question from Terry, who says on your year-end podcast, you mentioned to be cautious about time spent on entertainment. However, you've also quoted Forrest Gump, Mr. Holland's Opus, and my favorite Dumb and Dumber. My question, how much time do you spend on entertainment? How much time is reasonable? I'm mentally exhausted after work. I feel so guilty, and rightfully so, spending six hours inactively watching Netflix while aimlessly surfing the web in my laptop. I'm really realizing as I type this that I'm wasting an extra 30 hours just during the work week that could be spent working toward my dreams and goals. Ouch. Thanks for the podcast and all the useful free information you provide on the website. Boy, that is a big ouch. That's a big ouch for sure, Terry. If you realize you're spending 30 hours a week doing things that are pretty mindless. Well, you know, interesting question. How much time do I spend on entertainment? I mean, last night, uh, Joanne was out at her, at her book club. They were discussing the new book, Thrive. But I knew she would be home late. My son is here uh, and with his wife and little baby from Africa. But uh, he was working on some stuff, working on a project, and little baby was already in bed. So from 9.30 to 11 o'clock last night, I was now, now I got over to the house, you know, we had dinner and all that kind of stuff. The TV was never on. TV was never on. Our TV feels pretty lonely, I'm sure. But at, from 9.30 to 11 o'clock, I was watching on my computer a live presentation by Darren Hardy, who's publisher of Success. Some of you probably watched it. It was the Six Insights into Super Success webinar. And he interviewed people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Richard Branson, um, Michael Jordan, Dave Ramsey. I mean, had a whole list of people that he's interviewed over the last six years and then has six insights into super success. That's what I was watching. There was nothing on TV. It doesn't matter if we've got 486 channels, nothing that would come close to being as appealing to me as that. I mean, Joanna and I go to the movie theater 
she likes the outing, you know, to actually sit in the seat with a big screen. And we do that maybe once every six or eight weeks. I mean, that's pretty much it for movies for me. So I probably watch you know, maybe six or eight movies a year. I'm very, very selective. And frankly, there's a lot of things that start and I just don't stay. I mean, I, I, I don't feel any obligation if I paid the fee and bought the popcorn to just sit through a movie that I think doesn't have any value. So I'm, I'm pretty selective. I know that. You could call it other things, perhaps. But there are many movies that get my attention. Now, we have a couple that we own, like Amazing Grace and August Rush and you know, Mr. Holland's Opus. But uh, those are very few as well. You could put all the movies that we own and, you know, geez, you could hold them in one hand probably because it just doesn't come very high on our radar. Now I don't, I don't go to ball games. I don't watch sports on TV. I don't golf, hunt, fish, bowl. I, I hate to give the impression that all I do is work, but he, here's an example. You, you've heard me talk about the new bronze Eagle that we had sculpted. We have a magnificent area that's been landscaped that kind of has that it's a pretty big area where we made that a focal point, but then have a walking path through. I personally placed every stone that's in that magnificent display, found them on our property or my neighbor's property, moved them with my tractor, brought them over, positioned them there. I mean, I do things like that. I do a lot of things that are outside that are just things that I enjoy. To me, that's entertainment even if I'm sweating while doing it. But, you know, I'm just not sure what would be classified as entertainment. Here's an example. Last Friday night, Joshua and Alyssa Smith stayed here at the sanctuary. They were here for Coaching with Excellence. Immediately after that, they were at Kent Julian's Speaker Boot Camp in Atlanta. Then they went on to Florida for a week and did some business things. They were coming back through. And I said, man, I'd love for you to meet Jared Nilea my son and his wife, because Joshua and Jared have so many similarities. They're both artistic, you know, not real students, but really creative in the things they do. I said, man, it'd be neat for you guys to meet. So they came back and stayed here at the sanctuary last Friday night. And then Saturday morning, we spent the morning together. We had breakfast. Well, was that entertainment or was it working? I mean, Joshua is an Eagles club client of mine. Alyssa is in our coaching mastery program. So they're very connected with business things that we're doing, but we're just friends. So time like that, is that, is that working or playing? I mean, I often talk about how we try to blend those two. I mean, is, is going to dinner with Michael and Gail Hyatt, which we just did, you know, is that working or playing? Well, Michael and I do all kinds of things together. As a matter of fact, this week, his podcast is a, a playing of an interview, a video interview that I did with him on how to make $150,000 this year from your core message. It was a real hot video, and that's his. So we do a lot of business things together. I mean, this, this week, uh, as I speak, we're getting ready for Innovate here. Michael will be one of my speakers. I just spoke at his launch event down in Orlando. I mean, our connections that we have outside of just those kind of events, is that is that working or playing? Is that entertainment? I mean, entertainment, if we really look at a definition of entertainment, it's, it's some kind of activity that holds your attention and gives pleasure or delight. That's the dictionary definition. Something affording pleasure, diversion, or amusement. Wow, I do a lot of things that give me delight. I mean, I, I don't do much that I 
don't enjoy. I really just only do things that I enjoy. But isn't that by itself the definition of entertainment? So when you, if you're talking about things that just have absolutely no value, you know, that are just mindless, brain, brainless things, I don't spend much time doing that. I mean, and on a weekend, I mean, if I'm working on a book manuscript, I just turned a book manuscript last Thursday. If I'm working on a book manuscript, I'm likely to be in my office early, early on Saturday morning. So I'm not hitting the golf links. You know, I'm not going out. I wasn't out the night before, you know, for some rowdy party. So I have to sleep something off. I'm up alert and five o'clock and over here. And I may write two chapters of a book manuscript. That doesn't seem like a hardship to me. That doesn't seem like, oh no, I've got to go to work. And not at all. I'm here because I love doing that. That's a sweet spot for me. So I spend a lot of time doing that when other people would be doing other things that are more traditional kinds of entertainment. I'm always looking for how can I do both? How can I blend the things that I do? So somebody watching me really doesn't know if I'm working or playing. Well, I know that's not a clear answer. Sorry to be so convoluted in that, but I just, I don't have it clear in my own mind when I'm doing something that would be considered entertainment. Well, Brian says, Dan, since listening and re- to you and reading your materials, I began keeping a log of my ideas and light bulb moments for business ideas. And I've gotten excited about several different things I could see myself doing. I hear you say, just get in the game and walk to the edge of the diving board. Then I start thinking about all the things that I think I need, like maybe a business name, a license, tax ID, website, email, et cetera, and most importantly, credibility and an audience. And so I back away from the edge. To continue your game metaphor, I feel like I'm on the sideline of a football game ready to go in, but have no pads, helmet, or playbook. Short of standing on the corner with a sandwich board, how and where do I start? Well, great question, Brian. And the easiest thing to do is just have a job where you just show up and they tell you what to do. You get a paycheck on Friday. I mean, that's the easiest thing. And I'm not negating that as a possibility, but you have to recognize it is one possibility. As soon as you step out and are going to do something, even if it would just make you self-employed. So if you're a graphic designer and you're going to just start doing that on your own, you're going to have five clients rather than one. I mean, that, that in itself implies some other things are going to have to take place for that to work. But it doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, if you go down to the Small Business Development Center in your town, tell them you want to start your own little business, they're going to send you out with a three-inch stack of forms and things, and you're going to think, oh my gosh, this is too complicated. I'm not going to do it. Just going to keep my job. But it doesn't have to be that way. Don't let that kind of garbage deter you. If you want to do something on your own, yeah, select a business name. Get a business license. going to cost you like 20 bucks a year. Open a checking account and just start. Now, with most businesses, you are going to want a simple website of some kind. You can just do a simple WordPress theme, boom, have something up in 20 minutes that tells what it is that you do. Fill in the blanks. We've gone through this in previous times. Fill in the blanks. I help blank. Do no understand blank so that they can blank. You ought to be able to to describe that, fill in that sentence. I help somebody do, know, understand so that they can, so that you can describe what it is you're doing. I mean, you don't have anything come to life in a profitable, productive, fulfilling way unless you can go through 
that kind of a formula to describe what it is that you're going to do. But then you don't need to form a corporation. You don't need to get an FEIN. That's a federal employee identification number, unless you're going to have employees. You can stair-step your way up the complex ladder as you need those things. I mean, you can just do your accounting and QuickBooks if you want to. I mean, just keep things simple. But if you want to start a little lawn mowing business, you don't have to do anything complicated at all. I mean, swing by Home Depot, spend 200 bucks on a nice mower, and you're in business. So it's not complicated. You, you, you can get in the game without going through a lot of complexity. Just have a clear plan and get in. Lucy says, Dan, I love your podcast. I'm 50 years old, immigrated to the U.S. 20 years ago. I have a solid job and a very good income, but I dislike my job. My passion is for sewing, fashion, design, not as a hobby, but as an entrepreneur. We were taught these skills as girls in Europe, but in the U.S. it is almost non-existent. Do you think I could make a decent living with these skills, sewing high-end clothes? It is a great deal of work. Would it be possible to make a profit? Who would pay for this? Could I teach classes? Most Americans seem to be interested only in making quilts. How about teaching how to repair or tailor clothing? Any insight would be greatly appreciated. Well, Lucia, oh, I love your, your, the spirit of what you're saying. Is it possible? You better believe it. Now, I want to frame that a little bit. Is it possible to do tailor-made clothing to sew things? Yeah, there's a whole lot of different levels here. When I was in graduate school, when I was getting my master's degree, Joanne, my wife, did sewing for hard-to-fit women. And we used to joke about descriptions that we could come up with there, but we just simply categorized it as hard-to-fit women, be that as it may. She did that. She was immediately successful with waiting lists for what she did for women who could not walk into a store and just get something that really fit them well. So, you know, she did that. She was paid very well for that. I mean, she did that that allowed her to stay home with her, at that time, one little child. So she didn't have to go to go off to work some somewhere. I had my little stipend that I was getting from being a teaching assistantship at the university. And we lived on that. We lived on very little during those years. Didn't borrow any money. Didn't have lots of student loan debt. We just had fun in those couple years. And she did that. I did my studying and teaching. And it, it worked really well. So, yeah, you can do that. Now, when you talk about just doing something like that one at a time, or when you talk about doing repairs you can make a living doing that but you're not going to really thrive financially if you want to get rich you need to sell something glamorous or exciting you can do that if you're in fashion design you can i mean there's so many examples of that this month's issue of fast company has as a cover feature 100 most creative people in the world. I don't know when I've ever spent as much time in a magazine. Usually I go through a magazine in about 20 minutes or so. I spent so much time going through those 100 most creative people in the world. Now there's a bunch of people in there that are doing things like you're talking about where you think, ah, oh, that's just common. It's already been done. No, you can still get into that arena, do something in the fashion world and knock it out of the park. I mean, one of the people talked about in there is Sarah Blakely, who is a billionaire. So our interview just recently, you know, now she does things with her clothing. So it's not just a commodity. It's not just something utilitarian. And that's a big distinction when you're in the fashion world. If you do something that people need, you can make a living. So you can make a living selling washing machines or fixing transmissions, but you're not going to get rich. 
you know what? You can get rich selling chewing gum because it's something people want rather than something they need. So frame that in the same way in the clothing arena. If it's just a utilitarian product, eh, it's going to be tough to really do much extraordinarily. But if it's something that people want, something glamorous, something, go look at what Sarah Blakely has done with Spanx. I mean, I pulled it up just real quickly, and I'm, oh my gosh, I was blown away just looking at some of the things, the way they promote things. They they make bras that'll make you want to sing, hallelujah. I mean, are you kidding me? But I mean, think about the emotion behind that, to, to say that people are going to want to sing that. I mean, they have a, a bra for your butt, for a perk of your backside. Now, those are the kind of things, the kind of edgy things that they've done with Spanx, and it's made her a billionaire. So yeah, absolutely, you can take your ideas with fashion. Do something exciting, something glamorous, something that, that gets people attention, that has the wow factor, and you can do really well with that. Thanks for your question. Andy from um, Minnesota says, Dan, my husband is in sales, and I love this question. Last year, he sold over half a million dollars in products, which constituted a little more than half of the sales for the business. He made right at about $45,000 last year. Does the ratio of sales produced to income seem reasonable to you? Andy, well, here's the deal. If your husband sold half a million dollars, he made 45, so he's made, what, 9% of the total sales and commission. It depends on the product and the profit margins. If he was selling cars, at $20,000 each, that would only be 25 cars. If each of those had a profit margin of $1,000 on it, your husband as a salesman would typically get 25% of the net profit. So he's going to get a commission of $250 per car or with 25 cars, $6,250. Now, obviously he'd have to do that every month. So he'd have to generate half a million dollars in sales every month in order to make a living. In that example, if he was in the food industry and sold half a million dollars in total sales, I mean, the total profit margin may only be four or 5% or in that case, 20 or $25,000. However, if he were on board with me, let's just look at another example here. What if he took some of my digital products, let's say rudder the day or my digital course, the ultimate advantage, you know, how to create your own mastermind group. And he did the setup to put those on new sites. I mean, I'd be happy to pay 15% of whatever is generated. So let's see on sales of half a million, that'd be $75,000. Uh, hey, what, what the heck? I mean, we're talking about digital product, obviously. I'd be happy to pay 20%. We'll just make it an even $100,000. So it really depends on the product. But if it's a physical product, yeah, getting $45,000, 9% of the total gross sale that's not unreasonable at all. I don't know what the profit margins are. I don't know what the kind of product or goods or services that your husband is selling, but you can look at industry standards and pretty quickly get an idea of, you know, is, is that going to be reasonable or not? Uh, Sarah Meek says recently I felt inspired to start research for my own book about how people have redesigned their lives by creating businesses that provide them with personal and financial freedom and fulfillment. Anyway, she goes on and says, my question for you today is, how do you go about organizing the research for a nonfiction book? What resources would you recommend for someone brand new to the process? I'm not an experienced writer, although I enjoy writing for myself, but I didn't study it specifically in college. Um, my research would include interviewing several entrepreneurs and so on and so forth. Well, a couple things. To start organizing your research for a nonfiction book, 
you need to do a book proposal outline. I mean, you need to go through the kind of things that are going to be asked in a book proposal. This is like doing a resume or doing a business plan. Let's just do that. I mean, if you're going to open up a bowling alley, you need to do a business plan. So if you're going to write a book, you need to do a book plan. What is your book plan? And that's going to address things. Now, here's some of the things that are going to be in a book proposal form. Describe what the book is about. Who is the market? Who's the reader? Why would they buy this book? Who are the people that you think you could get to do endorsements for it? How will this benefit the reader? What's a competitive analysis? What other books are already out there that have been written on this? What are your marketing strategies going to be? See, there's a whole lot of things that have to be addressed before you start just creating the content. You have to take a high view of why am I doing this? What's going to be the end result? Now, that's going to be what's found in a book proposal form. I've got several of those. You know, I don't know if there's one up on my, I'll try to put a link to one in the notes for today. Um, I've got several and I'm just not sure if we've got one of those up as a ready link, but I'll try to create that. If not, just shoot me an email to askdan at 48days.com or any, any of you who may be interested in getting that book proposal outline, I'd be happy to shoot one to you. The other thing is, if you're going to be a writer, you need Scrivener. Scrivener is the bomb when it comes to programs for writing. I cannot imagine writing without using Scrivener. Now compare that to Scrivener allows me to have up my book outline, all the research in one category. So over on the left-hand side, I'm seeing all the chapters are right there. So I'm working on chapter three and I think, wow, did I talk about this in chapter eight when I wrote that? I can instantly open chapter eight without scrolling all the way down through a document, a long document, like I would have to do in pages or word pages being a Mac product word being PC. I mean, that's the way I used to write. I mean, writing has become so much more fluid, easier to integrate your research and all that than it ever was. Now, a, a couple in terms of um, just just a quick aside here in terms of getting input from other people. When I put out a note to my audience here and said I was going to do a revision of forty eight days, what do you think I ought to include in that? Now, keep in mind the book itself is seventy thousand words. I just submitted the new manuscript, 70,000 words. And of course the book already existed. I was, all I was doing was revisions. I received from listeners and readers over 165,000 words of content. That's more than two entire books in and of themselves. I got a wealth of information, valuable research from HR directors, PhD college professors, and a whole host of other people who are really in the trenches and had valuable input. Um, I'm going to be doing something with that. I'm thinking about creating um, really a Wikipedia for this whole arena that we're in, how to find your passion, how to start a business, how to get a job, where a Wikipedia where people could go in and add their own content. That's another topic for another day. I'm excited about it. I'm just developing the idea. But when you ask for people's help, they give it willingly. All right, let me move on here. Jordan from Arizona says, Dan, love the show recently. You mentioned you wouldn't have a gravestone. Why not? Why did I mention that? I can't imagine in what context I mentioned not having a gravestone. But yeah, you're right. I'm not going to have a gravestone. I just can't get excited about for the rest of eternity, taking up space in some kind of little plot of dirt. 
I, I really don't see the purpose. Now, in our case, I mean, I have children that live in Colorado, children that live in Africa, getting ready to move to Brazil. What are the chances that after Joanna and I are gone, that they're going to make a trip back to Nashville, Tennessee, and a drive through town to some little cemetery and go stand or put flowers on a little stone that somehow reminds them of us? I mean, I just... It is too far-fetched for the way we live today. That's not going to happen. I won't need a gravestone. Trust me. I won't go through the details, but my kids will have permanent memories in other ways, things that are portable that they can keep with them forever, but they're not going to feel obligated to come back to a little plot of ground to keep the grass mowed and artificial flowers sticking out of the ground. Nah, that's not where I am. Trust me. I'm long gone from there and won't need a marker to commemorate that at all. Well, Charles says, Dan, I believe I'm at a crossroads. I'm a product designer and I finally achieved a lifelong dream of designing a product that will soon be released. One would think I would be at the top of my career and be, would be happy, but I'm not. To achieve this, it's affected my life, my health, and my new marriage in a negative way. While this has been going on, I've been reading business books for the past couple of years. I've been thinking I'm in the wrong place. I believe my passions are teaching, art, and then design. I had to become someone I am not to get employment. In the first place, this makes me feel there is no soul in my work. Listen listen to this sentence. This is really cool. I feel as though I'm in a gray world where I have been reading about a colorful distant land that is more of an idea than a real place. I just fear I will get on the Titanic in order to escape it. I just know changes in the air. I'm just looking for the map. Okay, this one could take a while. But I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you a quotation from Seth Godin. This comes out of Lynchpin, his book. Seth Godin says, here's the truth you have to wrestle with. The reason that art is valuable is precisely why I can't tell you how to do it. If there were a map, there'd be no art. Because art is the act of navigating without a map. Don't you hate that? I love that there's no map. That's from Seth Godin. Now, here's how it relates to your question, Charles. If there's a map, you're going to gravitate to the next thing that's predictable, routine, and boring. It's when there isn't a map that you get to engage your art, your heart, your soul, your passion, the things that you talk about. But that requires that we create an individual path. I don't know what that'll look like. Now, if that leads you to another job that's more fulfilling fantastic that leads you to something that's less traditional than that fantastic but be careful about looking for a map be careful about just having somebody else draw out the plan for you because it's in that process that people feel like there is no soul like their soul is being sucked out don't let that happen now, I've got, I've got another one here I want to get to real quick. This comes from a lady who lives in Canada. I'll just say that. Now, she sent me a note, said that I really love the book, Wisdom Meets Passion. I was wanting a place to connect with people who have the same revelation as I do, that it's okay to do what you love and believe that God wants you to do that. I live in a really remote place, and there isn't a lot of support for that idea here. But what I found in the 48 Days community is a little bit different. It's a how-to, an intellectual-oriented place 
rather than a place for emotional support. If your ability to do has been in any way reduced by life circumstances, the tips in this website become moot. The goal orientation of the men who have read my profile, I have young children, push them to pressure me into doing things that I can't do given my situation. I feel pressured and alienated instead of accepted and supported. Now, I wrote back to this lady. Now, hear me, hear me carefully on this because it has a lot to do with the dynamics of the 48 Days community, I know. And that is unique. It's not a place for everybody. We've never presented it in that way. But I said, I think you've accurately captured the focus of the 48 Days community. And that is to break old habits and start doing new things. That's just the nature of what this community is all about. You're not going to get a lot of sympathy for circumstances being too difficult where you are. I know that may seem non-supportive, but I really want that push to continue. I'm sure you can find acceptance and support in other places. And I said, I, I trust that doesn't sound uncaring, but it's just the nature of what's happening in this space. Now, you hear us talk about that a lot, and you hear me talk about the fact that, um, you know, we, we, we don't give much space for yes buts around here, for excuses about circumstances. I know there's a lot of real things that happen. There are seasons that we go through in our life, and when you have young children, that's certainly a season where it may not be advisable to do certain things. I mean, there's certainly things that I did not do that I did not attempt to do when our children are young. But at this point, I'm in a different season of life. So welcome to different, the changing seasons. But yeah, this is a community where you're going to get pushed. You're going to get challenged. You're going to be pulled to do things that you've never done before. If you want just support and encouragement and a pat on the back because things are tough, the economy is bad, and you're in a tough situation. I'm sure there are places like that. And I want you to reach out to places like that, but that's probably not the feeling you're going to get overall from the 48 Days community. All right. Well, I hope I didn't offend a whole lot of people with that little scenario there, but uh, it's pretty much a reality here. And, and frankly, I'm pretty happy with that. Well, let me just remind you a couple things here. We're wrapping up. We've got a survey up on the homepage of 48days.net asking why we haven't seen you at a live event. Now, it's just, you know, I mean, good grief. I mean, we're not trying to make anybody guilty. We're just trying to get a sense. We do lots of surveys, but that one's up there right now. Why haven't you come? You know, is it the money? Is it the time? Is it the focus of what we're doing? We're just eager for feedback. And if you go there and fill that out and we want to see your responses, You'll get 10 bucks off in the 48 days store to spend any way that you want. So we'll bonus you for coming there and telling us what's going on. Now I'm going to be doing a teleseminar with my son, Jared. I talked about the fact that he's um, there here from, I shouldn't say their home. I should never say that their home is not here. Their home is in Nairobi, Kenya at the current time, but they're here with mom and dad, at least right now. We're thrilled having Jared and Eileen and little baby Sersha here. We're going to celebrate her second birthday, and she's been out with me riding on a tractor and petting the horses and doing all kinds of fun things together, so we're having a blast. But I'm going to be doing a seminar with Jared on May the 29th. He's the son with whom I wrote the book, Wisdom Meets Passion, 
he lives a very creative life. So we're going to be looking at some of the things that are concepts in that book. How do you live with passion? How do you live with creativity? Can you be involved in a traditional business and still be creative? We're going to be looking at some of those kind of things. Well, I hope you are an artist. Remember that quotation, being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art. Making money is art and working is art and good business is the best art. That was our Andy Warhol quotation from the top of the show today. Hey, I'm glad you're part of this gang that we've got here. It's been a fun ride, the things that we're doing. We've got new things cooking up all the time around here to keep life exciting. I know you do as well. Come see us at one of our live events. We'd love to take you on a tour of the property here and discuss what you're doing, how you're getting ready to send us one of those success letters. So keep us informed. Thanks for being part of this community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. 